morning everybody and happy Easter sorry about the uh, technical issues uh, I think we got it running let us know in the comments if we're on and monitoring the uh, the chat there so if something else happens let us know um, so uh, happy Easter as I mentioned and uh, this is the day that the Lord has made it's uh, a little gloomy here in Michigan if you're watching from other places but uh, we're happy in spirit because we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning uh, announcements and not much except for uh, continue to send your tithes to directly to Starla, and uh, we are working at fixing the PayPal issues there for those who are trying to donate there. Um, other than that, not much more. What's that? What? We're <laughs> reminding uh, everybody to just, just continue to hold each other up in prayer. Um, and don't forget, if, you, if you'd like to be part of the prayer meeting, we're meeting technologically <laughs> wise in the chat room on Wednesday nights. And you can get in touch with Andrew and I, and we'll get you set up. Okay, well, let's open our service in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the purpose of the day, the special day, Lord. Uh, not only just the first day of the week where we um, meet to worship uh, you, but also, Lord, the, the, the fact that it's Easter Sunday, where the world pauses to uh, recognize, Lord, the significance of a risen Savior. Pray, Lord, that you would help us today, although we are separated geographically, uh, to be united in spirit. Thank you, Lord, for preserving us another week. And, uh, Lord, we ask for protection for the week that's to come. And we thank you for what you are doing in the world. And I pray, Lord, that you receive honor and glory uh, for what is transpiring. Uh, but we do ask, Lord, that you would protect our church. And for all those, Lord, who call on your name, that you would put your hand of protection upon them. Help those that are sick currently, Lord, and, and administer grace and mercy there. We ask, Lord, that you would bless our service today uh, and, and all the things that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture for meditation this morning is Job 19, verses 20 through 29. One more time. Job 19, verses 20 through 29. morning, happy Easter. Our first song this morning is Christ the Lord is Risen. Christ the Lord is risen
And the second hymn is My Redeemer. The scripture reading this morning is Mark 16, uh, the first 14 verses. Mark 16, verses 1 through 14. <coughs> when the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices, bought spices, so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. They were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. Do you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified? He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and, ha and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them, 
as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. May God bless this reading of his word. Jesus lives and so shall I is our hymn before our message. Oh, and um, and the there's a link attached to this um attached to this video. If you um press on it, there is a special from the the Luke family to your family, just saying Happy Easter after the service. It'll it'll um. It'll be up there after the service. Jesus lives and so shall I that my sting is gone forever. He deigned for me to Today's text is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, dealing with the resurrection day. And we are told, firstly, in this text, of the caring women disciples. Mark 16, verse 1 says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, 
bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, of course, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Because the Sabbath day, which by the way was a Passover, was fast approaching, things had to be done in haste to retrieve Jesus' body from the cross and get him buried before the Sabbath began. You remember the two Pharisees, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, both believers, acquired Jesus' body from Pilate wrapped it with about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes, according to Matthew 27, verse 60. And they laid, it in Joseph, laid him in Joseph's own tomb, which he had prepared for himself in the garden setting. And then a huge stone was rolled over the doorway. The women were likely unaware that Jesus' body had already been preserved with spices by Nicodemus and Joseph, and so they brought their own. The scriptures when it says, When they arrived at the tomb, they were surprised to see that the stone seal had been removed, and having entered the tomb, they saw a young man entering, uh, dressed in white robe sitting on the right side, verse 5. Matthew's account, and you'll find that in Matthew 28, tells of a violent earthquake and an angel of the Lord rolling back the stone and then sitting upon it. Luke's account, which would be Luke 24, tells us that while the women were wondering about all of this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside the women and asked, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man, be crucified, and on the third day he will be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Luke 24, verse 6 and following. Of course, you realize they had remembered no such thing. They were surprised, nor had the disciples, as we shall see. Why then were these women at the tomb? Well, they intended to carry out the embalming procedure practiced by the Jews to give Jesus what would be called a proper burial. Purely a woman thing. They wanted to honor the Lord in his death, care for his remains, in a proper and holy way, within the garden's tomb, in a very dignified manner. Benjamin Keach, a Baptist theologian, writes this, Myrrh has a preserving quality. It keeps things from corruption, putrefying, and rotting. Hence, the friends of Christ brought myrrh, aloes, and other spices for the embalming of his body after his crucifixion. End quote. I remind you that myrrh was also very costly and was one of the treasured gift to Christ at his birth by the Magi of the East, Matthew 2, verse 11. So we could say it this way, that at his birth and in his death, Jesus was treated as the king that he was. Myrrh was also discovered to be one of the main uh, ingredients in Egyptian bombing. So why is this significant for the burial of Jesus? Well, Paul, preaching to the Jewish synagogue in Pamphylia, explains. He said to them, We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to see decay, is stated in these words 
I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. All of that from Psalm 16, verse 10. For when David had served God's purpose, I'm still reading scripture, for when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, which means he died. He was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Acts 13, verse 32 and following. Now parallel to this truth that the myrrh and other spices preserved Jesus' body from decay, as predicted by God in the Old Testament, parallel to that is the Jewish belief that resuscitation was impossible by the fourth day of death. This was Martha. This is why Martha protested when Jesus ordered the stone seal of her brother's tomb to be opened. John 11, verse 39. But Lord, said Martha, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Translation. She was saying to the Lord, this is futile. Lazarus has already begun to de decay. It's been four days, and resuscitation is impossible. Well, for Jesus and these devoted women who visited his tomb, it had been only three days. So what am I saying is that sometimes Jesus would conform to the thinking of the times to encourage faith. He came to life within the time frame in which the Jews believed it possible for the dead to be resuscitated. How is it then that Lazarus could be raised on the fourth day? Well, it is because God is the God of the impossible as well. John 11, verse 29, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So the, it was the faithful women who came to Jesus' tomb on that resurrection Sunday, the first to, to do so. That leads us, secondly, to the men... <laughs> And I have to call them the skeptical men disciples. These first visitors to Jesus' tomb were instructed by the angels, verse 7, Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Matthew's account fills in some of the blanks for us. It says, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Matthew 28, verses 8 and following. All well and good as far as it went. But what happened when the women reported the good news to the disciples? Our text, Mark's Gospel, verse 11. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she, that is Mary Magdalene, had seen him, the disciples did not believe it. They did not believe it. Luke's account, Luke's account tells us why the skepticism. Luke writes, They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Luke 24, verse 11. That was the disciples' analysis of what the women were saying. Typical men. Skeptic to the bitter end. The prove it to me guys. Oh, you know, the women are emotional, we think, verse 9. Trembling and bewildered, 
verse 8 says in our text, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Yeah, that's the women. Yet it was to these timid women that Jesus first revealed himself after his resurrection. You know, faith can shine through the fear. It can shine through the trembling. While it is often has a tough time getting through hard-headed men who are far often too overly critical and skeptical because their logic tells them the miraculous is nothing but nonsense. That's what they thought. Some of us guys are more hard-headed than others. Thomas was such a man. John's Gospel tells us that on the second evening of that first day of the week, that would be Resurrection Sunday, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, see the men can get afraid too, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now Thomas, I'm still reading scripture. Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in those nail holes and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Well, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and this time Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked again, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miracles and signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. John 20, verse 24 and following. You know, Thomas received the label Doubting Thomas because of this incident. But he was not alone in his unbelief. Luke's account references two disciples, one named, the other one unnamed, walking along a road leading to the little town of Emmaus. Emmaus is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And it says they were walking on that same day. That would be Resurrection Day, Luke 24, verse 13. And as they walked, they were discussing the events of the day and out of nowhere, Jesus joined them in their travels. But they did not recognize him. They were discussing, it says in the text, they were discussing Jesus of Nazareth. Here's what they thought. He was a prophet, they said, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handled him over to the sentence of death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this has taken place. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They, 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 they went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not 
see Luke 24, verse 19 and following. Wow, <laughs> I read that. and let, Let's see what's going on here. These men had all the facts straight. Nothing was left out. They reiterated to this stranger, who happened to be Jesus, the events of that morning with great accuracy, and yet when Jesus joined them on the road, it says they stood still, their faces were downcast. Luke 24, verse 17. Well, of course, having the facts and believing the facts are not the same. The women were joyous, but these guys are discouraged. They are frustrated. They are confused. And by the way, Jesus did not excuse their lack of faith. He said in verse 25, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things, and then enter into his glory. You see, these disciples were feeding on the teachings about Jesus in kind of a smorgasbord fashion, picking, choosing what they could get their minds wrapped around and rejecting what to them seemed to be fantastic. And so Luke tells us that beginning with Moses, that would be the first five books of the Bible, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What a lesson. What a revelation that must have been. Later that day, Jesus and these disciples parted company temporarily. And these disciples confess, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So you see, when they believed the scriptures, they believed Christ, they recognized him as their risen Lord. They hastened back to Jerusalem and reported to the eleven while there Jesus appeared to them all, saying, Why are you troubled? Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your minds? Verse 38. And after eating some fish to prove that he was not a ghost, the Bible says, Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. The Scriptures. The men folk more than the women had this idea. Just give me the facts and I will be able to sort it out for myself. But they were not able to sort it out. Seeing, they still did not believe. Hearing, they still did not learn. So faith does not ask us to believe what is nonsense, but they thought of it as such. But then nothing is nonsense which has so much an external and rational evidence to support it. They missed all the facts. These disciples were kicking against the plain proof of the risen Lord that confronted them at every crossroad, and Jesus cut them no slack for their unbelief. They should have known better. I mean, they were certainly taught better. And the empirical evidence was overwhelming. There in their midst was Jesus with the nail-pierced hands and a visible cleavage in his side. And he was one who could eat the same food as they and remind them of the very truth they had been taught by Jesus' own tutelage. Yet they were slow learners and skeptics at heart. Luke gives us the account of a Pharisee who invited Jesus to dinner. So he went. As they were about to eat, a woman of ill repute entered the room and began to weep over Jesus' feet, washing them with her tears, kissing his feet, anointing them with perfume. 
Ooh. The Pharisee, <coughs> excuse me, the Pharisee was appalled. <laughs> it says the scripture, when the Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, Ooh, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Luke 7, verse 39. In other words, we have this rational analysis of the situation. This woman is a sinner, and Jesus is letting her touch him. Jesus' response was this. Simon, this is the Pharisee named Simon. Simon, I have something to tell you. Well, tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, mm, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards this woman and said to Simon, now he's a Pharisee, remember, Do you see this woman? I came into her house, into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is all found in Luke 7, verses 40 through verse 50. I want you to notice that faith and love are connected. The Pharisee, being the learned professor of the law that he was, analyzed this situation rationally. Oh, the woman touching Jesus' feet was an immoral woman. That was true. If a prophet, Jesus would know that. Since Jesus did not recoil at the thought of a prostitute touching his feet, he must not be the prophet everyone thinks that he is, let alone the Messiah. And since she is, since Jesus is okay with an immoral woman touching his feet, maybe he is not the holy man he claims to be. Simon the Pharisee is like many men analyzing, putting two plus two together, drawing rational conclusions based upon what seems to be obvious, forming a one-sided opinion as though he knew all there is to know about a given situation. No room for error, no room for miscalculation. The Pharisee knows what he knows about this woman, and Jesus is but a dupe of her attention. So he thought. But Jesus was not a dupe. He knew everything about this woman. And what is more, he knew everything about this self-righteous Pharisee. While Simon was analyzing, this sinner woman provided all the normal kindnesses of Jewish hospitality that was the protocol of the day washing the dirt off a visitor's feet, giving a kiss of greeting and welcome. 
anointing the guests with costly perfume. Why would she do this? While Simon did not do it. The woman was conscious of her great sin. Simon was oblivious to his. The woman loved the Lord much and sought his forgiveness. Simon loved little because he did not see himself as a person with a great debt of sin. This in part is why the disciples were slow to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead when the woman the women that went to the tomb were not. Rational analysis will only take you so far in coming to believe in Christ. As God, Jesus' life and ministry will tax your logic and you will not be able to educate yourself into believing. There must be love to believe. There must be surrender to believe. And in this the women often outdistance us men. Verse 14 of our text tells us that when Jesus finally did appear to his disciples, I'm reading scripture now, he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Well, how would you like that indictment coming from the Lord? You stubborn men. The proof was given to you. The women saw me. They reported what they saw. And you're so stubborn, so know-it-all, you cannot bring yourself to believe their report. Now that brings us to the second point I'm making in today's message, and that is the eyewitness accounts. There are eyewitness accounts of hundreds who experienced the resurrected Lord. For example, the appearance to 500 believers at one time. I'm referring to the Christians at Corinth. Paul makes it clear that the resurrected Jesus was not witnessed by a handful of followers. No. There were hundreds of people who saw him and had their faith confirmed. Let me read. Paul says he appeared to Peter. Luke 24, 34. That's when that happened. Then, this is Paul writing. He appeared to Peter. Then to the twelve... Okay, that would be the apostles, right? After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6. Then verse 7, Then he appeared to James and all the apostles. That that would be James, half-brother of our Lord. He's listed as separate from the apostles, so he's the half-brother who initially became a follower of Jesus, <clears throat> though was at initially skeptical that God saved him. And he became the prominent elder in the Jerusalem church of more than 3,000 members that presided over the Jerusalem council in Acts 15, verse 13. The James that was the apostle, you remember, was executed by King Herod in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. So that's a different James. Jesus then appeared to Saul, which we know to be Paul. Saul, you remember, was the avowed enemy of Jesus. He viewed Jesus as a bogus Messiah, an imposter whose New religion posed a threat to Judaism, and so he determined to crush the new faith, which he called the way, the way, before it ever got off the ground. He was going to crush it. 
He signed the death warrant and presided over the stoning of Stephen, Acts 8, verse 1. And we read, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. But you know, that did not satisfy Saul. <laughs> no. Acts 9 verse 1 says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, and I'm reading scripture. He went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any of them there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners and bring them to Jerusalem. Acts 9, verse 1 and 2. This guy is a God of vengeance in his heart for these people. And he's intending to murder to and execute as many as he can lay his hands upon. Well... He had his letters, giving him permission to go and arrest. And as you know, it was on that journey to capture and imprison Christians that Jesus appeared to Saul in a blinding light. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus answered, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Well, that light, light was so bright that Saul was blinded, literally blinded. And for three days he fasted. And God sent Ananias, a prophet, to commission Saul. Brother Saul, I'm reading scripture. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, at once, he began to preach in the synagogues, that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, nothing was ever the same. Saul, the hater of Christ, became Paul, the great apostle of Christ. By Peter ministering to the Jewish community and Paul ministering to the Gentile world, the Christian faith and lifestyle has grown into the billions and billions of professing, yes, at least professing Christians throughout the world. How many are actual? Only God knows, but at least they profess. The witness was of the scriptures. None of us have ever seen the resurrected Jesus. So, how do we come to believe in him? Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently, and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstance to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them 
that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And even angels long to look into these things. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 and following. I ask the question, to what did Jesus pin the absence of faith in his doubting disciples when they were confronted with the evidence of the risen Christ? What did he say was their problem? Let me read it for you. Here's what he told them. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the, get it now, in all the scriptures concerning him. Luke 24, verse 25 and following. And verse 45 and following said, All the disciples were present. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Guess what? The Bible is where you will find the answers, the scriptures. God's Holy Spirit is where you will find the understanding of the Scripture witness. Both lead to love. Both lead to faith if you give up your stubborn refusal to believe. might ask the question in closing, why faith and love over intellect? You know what I'm saying. Why faith to find Christ? Why love to find Christ, whereas intellect, eh, not the way necessarily that God proposes. Well, I think God grants his salvation through faith and love over intellect to squash human pride and make the gospel palatable, accessible, can I say it, even to little children. Little children. Say, so what are you saying, Pastor? Well, I'm saying this. Children cannot come up to the intellectual understanding of adults. That's a fact. But they can believe. They can love. But adults, to say the contrast, adults can come down to the level of a child's love and a child's faith. Isn't that what our Lord taught? Jesus said to his disciples, now the adult men, I tell you the truth, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18, verse 3 and 4. That agrees with what Paul's theology says, for Paul wrote, the message of the cross is foolishness. To who? To those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 and following. 
Lord, ever part to us this faith mingled with love. Jesus said, if you don't come like a little child, if you can't believe like a little child and accept things on the basis of faith, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Intellect is not the way. Faith and love is the way. Let's pray. Our Lord, ever give us this faith and love to trust you. We have the gospel. It is written for us in the scriptures. It is lived out in your life. We have a living Savior that we celebrate today. The one that we're all going to have to stand before and give an account someday. And I pray, Lord, that that would that truth will just kind of seep into our hearts and help us to realize that it's not what we know, it's not our prowess, it's not our abilities, it's your grace, it's your love that brings us into your kingdom. Little children find you when we don't because they trust, they have faith. When they're told something, they believe it. And we would say, as adults, oh yeah, that's because they're naive. But Jesus says, no, it's because they love and they believe. And I pray, Lord, that you will grant us that childlike love and faith. For any listening on the broadcast today who don't know the power of the resurrected Lord, that he can bring about cleansing in our lives and forgiveness of our sins and that he's going to be the one that judges us in the day of judgment for he's not in the grave, never been in the grave for all these thousands of years, but he's a living Savior that we serve and will rule and reign in our, our world and also in our lives if we indeed believe and repent. Thank you for your word. Thank you for being such a Savior in Christ's name. Final hymn this morning is Christ Arose.
closing prayer. We thank you, Lord, with that we serve a living Savior, not a dead Savior. Dead Saviors can save nobody. If they can't save themselves, they can't save us. But praise be to our God, you are not dead. The scripture says, you said, I take, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This I have received from my Father and you have indeed fulfilled all of that. Dead, buried, risen and coming again. May we be prepared. May our loved ones May our friends, our neighbors who have not surrendered to Christ come this day to find life and forgiveness in the living Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, a reminder of the, the special. Um, there's a link on sermon.net, there's a link on Facebook, and there's a link on our webpage. For the for Von Dukrat <laughs> family Easter uh, song for you. Happy Easter.